Oh, it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ballgame. Take me out to the ballgame, take me out with the crowd, buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks, I don't care if I ever get back, let me You're out at the old ball game. Welcome to Let's Get To, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. And welcome to Let's Get To. I am your host, James Christopher, and we have a fun, if not very weird and random episode Andy Tom Chesson is here to, we're going to draft our teams to survive the apocalypse based on current and former Houston Astros players. We're going to be talking a lot about this plan, Major League Baseball. I'm not even going to call it a plan that they have, or if I do speak that way, I'm doing it out of some degree of ignorance, understanding that it was a story that leaked that they almost immediately, I won't say refuted, but backed away from. The idea of playing the entire season in Arizona. And, you know, I'm against it for a lot of reasons. You know, at first, I'm like, baseball? We can play some baseball? And I get excited because everybody wants to be back playing baseball. I'm not about it for a couple of different reasons. One, first and foremost, I don't think we're there yet. You know, I know some players have said anonymously that they want to be back to help the country heal. You got to get through your ordeal before you heal. Okay. After 9-11, we waited almost, we waited over a week. It might have been longer than that before we played a game. So you can't be in the middle of an ordeal and start healing from it. That doesn't make any degree of sense. Two, I don't want to watch ball players that I'm a big fan of, that I really, really like. I don't want to watch them not play up to their potential risk injury by starting at three o'clock in Arizona. I just don't. I don't want to see the level of play diminish because they're fighting over heat stroke and heat exhaustion because it's 130 degrees. I don't know what time the Albuquerque isotopes play, but I'm betting you they only play at night or really early in the morning and it's still going to be hot as I'll get out. Hot as I'll get out, so my grandmother would say. No, I, you know, and we're going to dive into this more in the show, but, but one of the other aspects of all of this and, and something that, you know, I think can't be understated because beyond the fact that you're going to see players not play their best because of heat, you don't want to see players not play their best because they're worried about family at home. You know, Garrett Cole's going to have a kid. Mike Trout's going to have a kid. Um, Justin Verlander has a new baby. Do we really want to think about, how that love, how playing separated from family, the mental anxiety that that goes through, how, how that's going to affect them. It's going to affect play and it's going to make the product not as good. And I do want to do a shout out to Ashley Buzzy McHugh. Ashley's Colin McHugh's wife. He is former Astro, current Red Sox. One of my favorite follows on Twitter and the only person centered in the sports world, I think. 
not centered on the University of Texas, by the way, but the only person centered in the sports world that my wife also follows and enjoys. But she talked about it from the perspective of how unfair it is to ask that of families to be separated, to essentially put husbands at risk, some of whom might have underlying health ex- health conditions as well, by making them play through the virus. And we all know that there's no way to be 100% on this thing until there is robust testing. And the minute there's robust testing, then all of a sudden, the idea of having to play only your games in Arizona goes away. There's competitive issues. You know, if you're talking about now, you're talking about all the games or a lot of games on prime time. Who are you going to put on prime time? You're going to put you're going to basically seed levels of competitive competitive advantage to the teams that draw the best ratings, i.e. the Yankees and the Dodgers. So it's a bad idea. And I think Manfred's motivated by three things. And I don't think that they are as noble or as well thought out as he thinks. If, in fact, he's thinking this one. I think he wants to get back as soon as possible to be the only game in town, pun intended. And so I understand this, but I think the problem is presenting the game in spring training stadiums with no fans. You're not going to win over any new fans. There are people out there who think baseball is boring. I think those people are insane, but I'm not going to be able to get one of those people to sit down and watch, you know, Astros and Cardinals from... I can't even think of a town in Arizona outside of playing at Chase Field in Phoenix. And if that person thinks baseball is boring, watching the game with no crowds, watching the game with no fans, um, watching the game where they're all scattered through the through the stands so they're not six feet away from each other. I just don't I don't think that's going to win over any fans. And I, I also cannot imagine the union letting this thing go. You cannot endanger the group you represent, and you also can't add additional stress and, and, and pressure by being separated from family. And I've heard the example, well, the NFL uh, voted for the new CBA, and and they only passed it by 60 votes. You can just have a, C, a, a vote like that. And I just think it's com- we're talking about something completely out of the realm of the possibility of what they signed up for. And I've seen somebody else go, well, you know, we asked the military to do it. We asked the military to be separated from their family. A couple of things. I know we use words like battle. We're going to go to battle. We're going to go to war. I am a big baseball fan. I didn't play at a very high level. I was in the military. I have been to a war zone with loaded weapons and stuff going down. It is not the same thing. A couple of things. One, Yeah, a military guy signs up to be separated from his family. It's implicit in the deal. A baseball player didn't. It's also completely disrespectful to the military to make said comparison. It just is. Every time you see a, you know, you see it more in football. We're going to go to war. No, you're not. You're actually not. You're going to play for three hours and then you're going to play for three hours again in a week. So it's a stupid comparison to make. They need to stop. Um, I think beyond the TV thing, Manfred also wants to push through rules that he wants to pass anyway. Electronic st- strike zones, limiting mound visits. And I mean, like for 
on in the surface for 2020, I'd be down for a, for the seven seven inning doubleheader. Except that I know good and well that he will figure out a way to to make that a thing. And then I also think he's using this the cover of the pandemic. I've talked about this on the show before, and we'll continue to talk about it. Manfred is using this pandemic as a way to eliminate those 42 minor league teams because he knows damn good and well that if those teams, they're like any small business out there and they have to go a year without profit, a year without bringing in any revenue, they will fold or sell very cheap to Major League Baseball owners. That is what he wants. And so, again, Arizona... To to sum up my opening about the Arizona thing, which will be peppered through this whole episode, follow Ashley McHugh. I think it's a bad idea. Playing a baseball game is not the same as being in the military. In any way, shape, or form is it not the same. And it's therefore unfair to make that example to actual veterans and also unfair to separate players from families. And I think unless you got a 100% vote that they were all down for it, I don't think you can make anybody do it. And then you have to ask yourself the question, what do you do if three or four of them say no? Oppo Taco, a fan's view of the show. All right, so we're starting on the Oppo Taco segment, and we're welcoming back one of our favorite guys, Mr. Gary C. Warren. He is usually here talking about the St. Louis Cardinals, but instead he's going to give us a different opinion, I guess, on this basically Little League tournament style, complete with orange slices versions of the MLB. How's it going, man? It's going great, man. And yeah, I, I think I probably have a little bit of a different take than a lot of people as I'm ready for it. I don't care. I don't care what they give us. I need my baseball, man. They can be two inning games where the someone starts on third base and it's a whistle ball bats. I don't care. Like I need my baseball. But does it uh, cease to be baseball if you inherently change the game? Um Normally, I would say yes. Normally, you know, uh, you and I both agree on a lot of these changes. They're trying to, you know, push through just takes away from baseball. But right now I say, no, (laughs) I don't care. It's baseball. (laughs) No, this matters to me. Like I want to see guys in jerseys out on the field, getting some stats. I want to be able to make fun of Cubs fans and I'll, I'll let them do whatever they want. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, Look, I, I, I'm on record saying I don't like the idea, not not necessarily because I don't like the idea of there's a whole lot of things for me. And so I, we'll go we'll go kind of piece by piece at this. Like one of the things that I don't hate is the idea, for example, of a seventh inning double header. If I didn't think that Manfred would use that as an excuse to try to reduce the game to seven innings in 2021. One hundred percent. That is my big fear. Most most of these changes that he's looking at are kind of things he's been wanting to do. Um, robotic strike calls, you know, or, uh, you know, that sort of thing. I feel like this is the inch that he's going to take to to change everything. And to do it in the in the guise of a pandemic, we've been talking on this show about his desire to contract the minor leagues and the fact that he's going to use this as an excuse to do that, I think, is is abhorrent. I don't even necessarily mind baseball with no fans. I think you could in theory, I think what, I think if you just waited until we had testing, you could have a regular travel schedule and play them in those homestands with no games. What I, I think my biggest thing is look, you neither, you, you are not a, a Dodgers fan and I'm not a Yankees fan, which means automatically 
Most of the time, Cardinals games and Astros games will be at two o'clock in Arizona in July. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's it's crazy to ask the players to all move to Phoenix for four or five months. You know, I mean, like generally, you know, yeah, maybe they have their house wherever there's a good tax law and then they have their place in their hometown, you know what I mean? Or their, where their ball team is, but like everyone is going to have to move to Arizona now, every baseball player in the, you know, in the league without their family. Yeah. Yeah. And like, they're going to be now bunking with like, you know, I mean, yeah, it's great for some of these young guys, but can you imagine, you know, Bryce Harper and his four hundred million dollars, like having to live in a <laughs> in a buck bed you know? with <laughs> right with some double A player that they're going to expand the, the rosters for because you know you will have a we'll we'll have the record for for most dehydrations in a game because you're playing in 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 on the sun at least Alex Bregman maybe wins the MVP because he's used to it because he's from there I don't know that's yeah and then it's you know ultimately. I think this is going to be one of those asterisk seasons where none of the records people are going to really count. Um, even possibly, I mean, the, if you win the world series on this really strange, weird season, I, I don't think people are going to count it. I mean, the fans of that team certainly will, but I think everyone else would be like, Oh yeah, that was that year. That wasn't a real world series. That's less legitimate than the Astros one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what, yeah, no, it's, no, it's weird. Like, look, when I first, when I first heard the idea, I was into it for a lot of the same reasons you are. And there's this part of me that doesn't trust Manfred because part of me thinks he would rush this back because he sees it as an, as an opportunity to be the only game in town. And, oh yeah, yeah. hundred percent. I don't trust this guy for anything and I don't trust him that he has anyone's best interest in mind at all. And I, I, you know, the, the owners of the teams are going to be losing money on this because there's nobody coming to, you know, Minute Maid Park or whatever, uh, that all these, I don't know who's benefiting other than Manfred, you know, being like, look at me, I'm the guy that led sports back to America. Or the guy that brought a team back and everybody got coronavirus. I mean, that's, that's the, the risk he runs. It's so, it's so weird to me. Like, I just feel like, you know, if you if they were to just come out, because I guess part of me thinks that that the American people think that we're waiting for coronavirus to go away before we can do things, and we're not. That's not the case. We're waiting for more ready, quick testing so we can find out who has it and quarantine them. Like we're wa- we're waiting for lots of things that can come a lot quicker than the virus itself going away. And I would just, yeah, the virus is never going to go away. I mean, ultimately like we'll eventually build up antibodies and it'll be like a sickness. People still catch, you know, like MERS or things like that. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. So we're, we're, I, I would prefer caution. I would almost prefer a, you know what we play. We, we start after the, off to the all-star break and we play 80 games or whatever it is. And even that'll still feel short and it'll feel weird. And, and whether you can have fans or not, um, obviously is the big thing. But I think some of the things that, you know, we talked about the, the, the family issue is the big one. Like Mike Trout's got to have a baby in August. Like, uh, and what the, you tell me the best player on the planet is not going to play baseball and that's going to still be okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, again, if, if you're the young, hungry guy that, you know, you're, you're in the minor leagues, this is your shot. You're willing to do anything. These guys that are superstars that are going to make the same amount of money regardless, 
I find it a lot more difficult that they're going to be down for a lot of this. Um, I want to get your couple takes on a couple of other kind of big stories then. Let's say under the um, under the worst case scenario that the season is in fact over um, or doesn't – and my long off season of hell can continue. Um, <laughs> because every time somebody posts a story about Justin Verlander – uh, donating money to feed first responders at youth and Meth- and Methodist. There's some a-hole Yankee fan jumping on there calling him a cheater. And I'm just like, we can't restrict <laughs> that to, to, you know, um, so a couple of things that might be the result of it. One of which a lot of teams might have seen favorite players play last games and didn't realize it. The Astros could lose George Springer. And then the Dodgers actually might not ever get to see. Mookie Betts in a Dodgers uniform. Um, what are your thoughts like sort of on on that part of it where they they basically are letting their service time count? Yeah, it's I I am torn on it. You know, I mean, I think on one hand, all contracts could kind of, you know, feel like they should be frozen um, and let these baseball players uh, apply for unemployment like the rest of us out of work. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but then on the other hand, it's like, I, I mean, I just I don't know what you do with it. Like, it's not fair that, uh, you know, whatever player who's 32 years old in the prime of his career is going to miss a season and potentially, you know, all the, the big money that could come with that. So I don't I don't really know what they do. It's it's such a strange situation, you know, and like, is this going to go against your, you know, your your playoff time to get to arbitration eligible? Like, oh, nope, sorry, you didn't play that year. So now another three years before you can get a raise. Right. So it's, I don't know, you know, and it's kind of like we've, we've discussed before when it came to the, uh, the cheating scandal that a lot of this stuff, no one had written rules for, no one had thought this could happen. So they didn't, they weren't prepared for it. Take that and multiply it by a hundred that no oh, one yeah, was ever yeah. prepared for this. Well, you know, and, like, and speaking of the cheating can- scandal, one of the things that gets people irritated is the fact that, um, AJ Hinch and Jeff Lunell were sentenced basically to time and not games. And at least for Jeff Luno, that makes sense, right? Because a GM doesn't do a whole, I'm not like he doesn't do a whole lot, but most of a GM's work is done in the off season at the all-star break and in the postseason. I mean, after the season's over. So it makes sense to have said at least a GM, you're no, 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 you're, you're, you're uh, suspended from now until the end of the season, not a number of games. So a lot of people are wanting to add on another season. What are your thoughts on that? You think they should or should, or is that just the, you wrote it that way and that's the way it is. Yeah. I, I think, I think ultimately it, it, it will abide. However, they view every other player. If a player service time is this one year is still happening. I think it has to apply to them as well. I think that ultimately, you know, great. They, if, if this entire season doesn't happen, and that means they get to come back with everybody else. So be it. Their reputations are still torn to shreds. Right. Um, they still – it's always going to follow them around. And I don't think so Luno works like, again anyway. Like I think no. Luno's – I think A.J. Hinch will come back. I think that he did a much better job of acquitting himself of how it all went down. Yeah, and I think he, he's he's going to have to pay a little dues. Sure. You know, I think he'll, he'll come back as a, you know, a bench coach or something like that, you know, and, and – but yeah, it's like n- no one liked Lunau anyway. Well, I think there was a lot of people who think that's why this is went down was as much to do with 
other people didn't like the way he was changing the game, and here is their excuse. But this is not, in fact, the Astros version of the X Files. Uh, it is. <laughs> it's let's get to. So, what about the now? The, now, the other part of that too is a lot of players were were suspended for games, uh, and those games aren't counting because there are no games. Thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, I'm fine with it. I think ultimately, it's it's such a small problem uh, with the entire thing of baseball being gone. I, you know, how, how are we going to punish this guy an extra three games when he's already lost half his season? It it just seems like fine. Let's just. That's all BC and AD. You know what I mean? Whenever baseball starts back up, clean slate. Let's just all play the game and have fun and forget the old stuff. We've all suffered for it, you know. Yeah, I do kind of hope that the game is allowed to come back stronger. I, it, it is a, also why I think if Manfred brings it back too early, and you know, because one of the big debates has been the NBA is talking about playing their last like fourteen games and then a wholly different playoff schedule. In Vegas. And, I, you know, I'm talking – to me, it's such a different animal because you can do that in six weeks. Yeah. In hockey, the same thing. You can't you can't play a baseball – I just don't think you can find 11 stadiums in Arizona and play 162 and think people are going to watch it because, like, you and I will watch. Right. Do you think the but average – the typical person – no, no. The, the person who already thinks baseball is boring is not going to want to turn on and watch MLB and rinky-dink stadiums with no fans and go, yeah, this is way more exciting than I thought it was. Exactly. Yeah. And it's – it's if anything, and you know, to get a little X-Files, I could almost see Manfred wanting to do this to further justify we need faster games. We need fireworks and tackles or whatever is going to like yeah. bring people to, you know, watch the game. And it's like, I, I wouldn't put it past him to try to tank the entire MLB to get his new vision of uh, ADHD baseball playing. <laughs> if he goes to Alex Bregman and Juan Soto, you get, no, no, don't, don't drop the bat next time. I like that. You get to hit everybody on the way around. <laughs> you get extra points. Like yeah, it's right. People, you get an extra you know, run. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I actually think uh, – I, I don't think it's too X-File. I think he's doing that to force some changes he wants to make. I think that he uh, is doing that because he wants to tank the minor leagues. And he knows that if you play all these games in Arizona and you expand the rosters, you won't kick anybody down to the minor leagues. And some of those low-A teams, they need, they're they not going to be able to survive a year with no revenue. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's what he's been wanting to do. Um, and I did have a question for you. One of the other things that, that he's suggesting are the on-field microphones for players, which I think just feels ridiculous. But I don't know. What do you think about no, that? I think it feels ridiculous too. I think I, I think it feels – it's fine for a spring training game every once in a while. First of all, look, I, I am not the believer that your average Major League Baseball player – is super intelligent. And so I don't necessarily want to hear them talking all the time. I don't want to give the meathead a microphone. Um, no, I think it's dumb. I think it unnecessarily, um, WWE's baseball. Yeah. I, it feels like the, you know, the XFL stuff they were doing where, you know, a guy misses a, a punt or, you know, or misses a field goal and they grab him right with the microphone. How does it feel to have missed that? Well, it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and like, I don't mind it, you know, and on like, uh, national games where then they'll go back and show a clip and like, Oh, let's see what so-and-so said. And that, you know, and half the time they're like, yeah, boy. Yeah. 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 Oh, Oh, Oh man. Yeah. And it's like, really, is that what we need 
for the entire game. Yeah. And, and are you, you know, maybe it's one thing if you do it like the, like the all-star game where you mic one player and that player knows weeks going into it that you're going to be mic'd and it's almost scripted to a degree. Right. But again, um, I want to watch Mike Trout hit baseballs. I don't want to necessarily hear him speak. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, especially if it's live, they're going to be beeping half of what these guys say anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it's like, I don't know. It just, it's, it's again, trying to, to take the nation's pastime and turn it into something for Gen Z that yeah. they can watch on Quibi. You know, and it's like, get off my lawn. Oh, by the this way, pour one out for Quibi that's already like dying because only nobody, because nobody wants to watch movies that way, by the way. Um, but, no, no. <laughs> but, uh, no, but I was thinking about that too. If you do the mic'd up thing, then I require that they mic up the Cuban players and you also have to mic up their interpreter. <laughs> there you go. And then I the like interpreter that. has to feel the position. How about that? Oh yeah, I would love that. Then you have like you know the the Japanese guy has to be out right on the pitching mound behind the pitcher. Exactly, and, he can, <laughs> and maybe he can catch a pop up. Like you, you know, there you go. Yeah. Um, one last question then, and you know I don't know what your take is. I think it's weird that one of the worst kept secrets is that the Red Sox have already been informed of their punishment, but it has not been made public yet. I'm not shocked. I mean, it's just we knew this was coming. We knew it was everything was going to be kind of thrown at the Astros' feet because they're a small market team, and that no one cares they're not going to. Yeah, they're not going to make you know they're not going to make all the Red Sox fans mad about it. Um, you know, they certainly can't do anything that that hurts a team on the coast. Um, so I'm I'm just not surprised. It's it's not it's expected at I, this point. I especially love it when Dodger fan with Mookie Betts as his profile picture comes at me. Uh, it just makes me laugh. <laughs> uh, but everything else is good. You guys are safe. You guys are staying in. I know you're watching a lot of movies. Watching a lot of movies. Uh, you know, I did make it through all those Transformers somehow. So if I can do that, I can make it okay. through Manfred's new MLB. <laughs> what did you think of last night? Before we go. The strangest movie I think I've ever, the strangest big budget movie I've ever seen. And it was just, it made no sense. It made no sense whatsoever. And I'm fairly sure they're leading to the point that Earth might be a Transformer. Okay. Well, that's a good place to leave it. Uh, Gary, thanks for being on. We'll have you back on in a couple of weeks, okay? All right. Hopefully we get baseball in some form soon. Astros, a focus on H-Town Hardball. All right, so we're back here on Let's Get Two on Go Go Astros. And Andy and I, we have been dedicating to keeping this weird. And so, Andy, how's it going? First of all, how are you? How's the family? Everybody healthy? Um, let's see. My wife is navigating the um, issues surrounding unemployment in the state of Texas right now. So that seems to be a certain point of frustration which makes me all the more glad that I'm essential and get to come to an office every day. Well, she does, but you know, she'll, she'll, I, we, we time things for me to be awake while she's asleep and vice versa. Yeah. So the likelihood of me getting hurt from this is several weeks down the road. Several weeks down the road. Good. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that in my other business in the film business, the thing that's wearing me out and maybe you've seen some of this are the people that are, you know, sharing like Mad Max Thunderdome trailers and saying, that's what I thought this would be. And I find it a little exhausting because I don't, th you know, it's obviously not that. And people I think are posting them unironically, like we're really heading for that. So I thought, let's steer into the skid 
And so this week. Oh, that- yeah, I'm I'm there with you because it's um, I, I, there's a couple of different forums I post and, or, or listen to and read, and um, there's at least a, a healthy underground of people who have been stocking up on ammo for the last several months and are convinced any minute there's going to be um, some sort of revolt of people who haven't gotten stimulus checks yet who are just going to start breaking into houses and stealing children and dogs. I. I Hopefully that's not true, um, but, you know, I have a good lock on my house. No, but I thought we should steer into the skid today, and if we were to draft our own, like, Walking Dead-style squad of Astros players, both current and previous, what that squad would look like. And so I am actually going to—we're gonna each going to pick five, and I'm going to allow you to pick first. We will alternate, and— um I'm assuming you're going to have clever reasons because that is entirely your job on this show. And I will do my best to respond. Since you have mentioned a number of times that I am the host of the segments, um, even though you do the hosting duties, um, I'm going to go ahead and throw your rules out the window and take the first pick. But I'm also going to pick two people with my first pick. (laughs) Okay. Go right ahead. Um, my first pick is Bill Spires and Mike Hampton. And this is all based on a 1999 fight in Milwaukee. Um, I believe the Miller field at that point with a fan called Burley Visker, uh, who admitted to having three beers and a number of vodkas and beers prior to coming to the stadium, three beers in the stadium, um, and decided it'd be really super funny if he jumped over the right field, um, fence and just gave Bill, Bill Spires a big bear hug. For those of you that don't know, Bill Spires is a Alabama kid, um, or excuse me, a South Carolina kid, went to Clemson, um, big, big, big hunter. Um, matter of fact, one of my favorite stories for the couple of months I had a press credential back in 1999 was him giving Craig Biggio a bunch of crap because, um, Biggio has a hunting, uh, had a hunting lease at that point and didn't know how to hunt, um, which he <laughs> thought was just the most comical waste of money in the world. Um, anyway, there's this fight, and Burley Visker's a huge guy, um, probably pushing 300 pounds. Spires takes him off his back, flips him to the ground. The reason Mike Hampton's thrown in there is because Mike Hampton was the pitcher when this happened and <laughs> sprinted from the mound to right field and just started laying into Mr. Visker's face um, over and over and over again. The best part of this is after Mr. Visker sobered up in prison, um, said, you know, sorry, I was just kidding around. <laughs> Um, no, that's awesome. I absolutely remember that. In fact, the best part is we didn't really prep this segment. So I was like, why those two spires? I remember, um, being a kid, but Hampton, definitely a kid that can handle himself. Um, so for my first pick, I try to take this strategically and I tried to find things of elements of Astros current and past that I thought would be valuable And then who had some of those traits Um, and then the traits that were the most rare, I was going to pick first. And then the other ones I feel like I can can sort of uh, piggyback on, I guess. So I'm going to go with Nolan Ryan. Now, a couple of reasons. One uh, guy's clearly a survivor. Um, Obviously, also a fight. The most epic charging of the mound and getting halfway going shouldn't have done that. Um, of all time when he was with the Texas Rangers, Texan and a hunter. And so I just feel like that's the guy that can 
will be will be able to lead the team. And again, Survivor, he's he's made it in the big. He you know he pitched to his forty in his forties. I think he's the guy to lead my squad. Uh, you know what? It's a fantastic pick, and I will tell you. I'll give you a couple of other reasons. Um, the man got into and survived a fight with Dave Winfield um, early in his Astros career, uh, where Winfield actually had his hands around Nolan's throat, and he still lived <laughs> to tell the tale. So it's true. Um, and also, he's a rancher. So were you able to move into an agrarian economy for a little bit? He could grow you some livestock and possibly some um, um, vegetables. There we go. Yeah. I love it. So yeah, that's, a, that's a so damn fine pick. You're number two. Uh, my number two is Lance Burton. Um, As James scratches him off his list. It's going to make sense a little bit. My main reason for him is stories and snacks. In a apocalyptic situation, you're going to need food. You're going to need someone to be forage for food. Lance Berkman famously played um, baseball with Twinkies in his pockets from time to time. Matter of fact, that was one of his nicknames, Twinkie. Um, also, you're going to have a lot of downtime. And this is a man who can tell a story about anything to anything. I think, uh, I mean, just. Even better than Jeff Bagwell, um, if you ever catch Berkman on the um, uh, on the game day uh, when he's doing guest third mic, uh, it's a fantastic weaving of stories that have nothing to do with what's going on in the field, but are always started by something that's going on in the field. Uh, and it may trail off into any number of topics, but um, Berkman's very high up on my list with my number two pick. Uh, that's a great pick. And, you know, I- I, for one, think that I think Blum is fine. But if you were to give me a three man booth of Callis, Berkman and Bagwell, I think that would be some of the best television broadcasts, period. Now, I I, I would agree with that. Um, you know, when we're talking about post-apocalyptic and we're talking about having to forage and find things, I was looking for my Glenn. For those of you that are walking, walking dead fans. And so I needed somebody that was elusive, that was versatile, and that had some speed. So I'm going to go with Miles Straw as my number two pick, current Astro, one of the fastest guys in the MLB. But also, as we learned in this very abbreviated spring training, we had a little bit of pop so he can hold his own in a fight. So I'll take Miles Straw. Okay. Um, similar to that. I'm going to go with a more obscure Astro, even more obscure than Miles Straw, uh, John Cangelosi. And I'm going to pick John Cangelosi, who was an outfielder with the Astros in 95 and 96, um, mainly because of his ability to take down large, large men um, and beat them into submission. And what I'm thinking about here, and this isn't my theme throughout this, but it was a consideration, um, was a fight between the Expos and the Astros in 1996, where he took down former Astro Jeff Juden, who stood about 6'8", I believe. Cangelosi's um, 5'7", on a good day. He's taller than Altuve, but that's about as good as he gets. Um, climbed him, literally climbed him with his spikes on Juden's knees, got up and choked Juden out and just considered to uh, proceeded to pummel his face. And for those of you that followed Jeff Juden as an Astro, uh, especially in the minor leagues, of uh, this, this stop and start of never fulfilling his promise, a lot of us wanted to be John Cangelosi that day. Um, so salute to John Cangelosi. He's my number three pick. Okay, so I realize in any 
post-apocalyptic, particularly zombie scenario, that the zombies aren't really your 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 fear. Uh, the zombies, um, you're really worried about other humans. And I needed a human that was going to be able to stop a fight before it starts. Someone whose mere physical presence would intimidate any potential um, aggressor. And I'm going to stay on current Astros and I'm going to bring in Mr. Jordan Alvarez because the minute he shows up, to, it's like having Superman, you know, the Justice League is fine. And then the big red S lands. And to me, Jordan, Jordan Alvarez is my tank. He is my Superman. I will take him. And I definitely want him to have that uh, Jackie Robinson post-apocalyptic costume from the Key and Pill sketch with the baseball bat with the nails through it. Um, very similar that your, your fourth pick and my fourth pick are going to be, uh, tanks, uh, to use a video game vernacular. Uh, I went one year earlier and went with, um, playoff hero, former DH, Evan Gaddis. Oh yeah. Who possesses not only a, um, a physical prowess, um, and just sheer intimidation through size and strength, but also a, a survivor's beard. There may be, and we've talked about this in past episodes, there could be a lot of things he could store in there, um, keep secret weapons, potions, uh, any kind of thing, snacks, again, because Berkman's going to need help carrying things. Um, but he's a guy that I also think not only could pummel you um, and just destroy you with his hands, um, but also he feels like the kind of guy that if you ripped off one of his arms, a la um, Monty Python, he'd keep going. I don't think there's any stop. I think he would just, you know, I've lost my leg. It's okay. I'm going to hop around this other leg and beat the crap out of you with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and actually, you're at four. I'm at three because you went two for one. Yeah, but that only counts. I'm at fourth because I picked first. This is now your fourth Oh, that's pick. right. So I'm on fourth. Yes, okay. I thought you said we were both. Of, never mind. Spires Hampton is one guy. That's right. Spires Hampton. They, they got married. Okay. Um, so for my number four. I'm going to go with Astros legend, and I got to think has to be the scrappiest fighter among my group. And I'm going to go with, and it's not just because I watched him hit a double today from 1981 to seal Nolan Ryan's fifth no-hitter, but it did. Uh, I'm going to go with Jose Cruz. Um, I think. Very nice. I think just, just uh, of all the guys on my team, he's the one I'd least want to be in a fight with. I feel that's right. I also feel that um, different eras of Cheo, um, you'd get different kind of fighting styles. Um, Cheo with the giant afro in the early 70s, even though he didn't have afro-like hair, um, I think that's, I think he looks like somebody who can exist under any conditions, especially present day where you can't get a haircut. And he still thrived with that contact. Did he, get a, did he have a perm? Please tell me he didn't have a perm. No, I think he just had naturally wavy hair, um, a la Greg Brady, not Mike Brady. Okay, okay, good. All right, so my final pick, going to be a little controversial, who is a controversial player, although probably very deserving of being in the Hall of Fame, um, very deserving of being in the conversation of one of the best pitchers, if not the best pitcher of his generation, Roger Clemens, who did play for the Astros from 04 to 06 and was part of our first World Series run and our first pennant. Um, Now, here's my reasoning on Roger Clemens. I don't like him. I called him Roger for a number of years. I probably still do most of the time. Um, He is absolutely the proof of that term of he's a jerk, but he's our jerk. 
So for three years, he's Archer. Great. Once he'd been back to the Yankees or once he was in Toronto, you couldn't have asked me to care about him. But here's why I pick Roger Clemens. He's a softball guy. And for those of your fans and you that might listen to Jim Rome, he's the guy that buys all the equipment. He would have the top line of everything you could need from the REI catalog all the way up to um, the finest hunting materials and weapons. He also would die quickly so he wouldn't use your resources a lot. So you could drive around in the fanciest Hummer, um, which he did, um, have the best guns, the best knives, the best flamethrowers, the best everything, and not have to worry about him being around eating up your food. And so you're saying like, you know, when there's the dramatic reveal, you know, you open up the cabinet and like the steam comes out and all the we- like that's his cabinet with all the weapons in it. Absolutely. Okay. And probably a little bit of hair, probably a little bit of hair dye from when he used to frost his tips. So finally, then my last pick, I'm going to go with Craig Biggio. Now, now the pro- the fact of the matter is he has armor, which is important, as we learned. Absolutely. And, as we learned, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He's got armor, and we all know that he can take a hit as being Major League Baseball's all-time hit-by-pitch leader. So that is our team. Andy, uh, this was fun. Real quick, uh, we talked on uh, Tuesday's episode about this—they're calling it the bubble plan. The idea of everybody playing in Arizona uh, spread across 11 different ballparks— Families are isolated. You, they can't come. People are six feet away. Besides the fact that it gives a distinct advantage to Alex Bregman, who knows how to play baseball in such conditions. Uh, what are your thoughts of, of this idea? <laughs> um, uh, let me make sure I understand this. This is from sources, correct? It is from sources. And it looks like Major League Baseball like already is trying to distance themselves from that. They The story broke overnight from Jeff Pissant. Sorry. Jeff Bassan. And uh, he um, and I mean, like, I think the story was out for about eight hours and then Major League Baseball's already issued a press release saying that they are nowhere near a solution. Yeah. So this strikes me because you sent me the article this morning and I'll be honest, I didn't read it until right before you told me, what do you think of this? Um, Thank goodness. Thank goodness for speed reading. Um, Thank Ambrose. Appreciate it. It it feels for all the world like almost all of the other questionable um, coronavirus articles that are out there now that are just running with something to put it out there. Um, I've got a new news thing. You're going to give me hits. Fantastic. And I'm not saying that Jeff Passan is that kind of person, but I also noticed um, from January to the beginning of March, he absolutely was that kind of person. Um, So concentrating on clicks is where I think this article probably came from, but the plan in and of itself is just asinine. Um, In some of the conditions, because you're you're, you're literally changing baseball at some point. Um, Just going ahead and get rid of the umpires, and I assume because they're too old, I know it's a proximity thing. Well, okay. But also, is there an umpire that is under the age of 55? No, no. You're right 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 about that, yeah. I mean, they're in the highest risk group. It would be like having Jimmy Williams on your bench. You'd keep him in a little bubble and wheel him out. Just as effective, by the way. Um, No mound visits from the catchers or pitchers. Uh, Excuse me, let me go back to the umpire thing. We're just going to go ahead and throw in the electronic strike zone, even though they've kind of shown that it needs a lot of work when they used it in the Atlantic League this year. That it was, it's something that's there. Um, 
but it's not ready yet. But screw it, we're just going to throw it in. Um, no mound visits from the catcher or the pitching coach. So you're looking at really high-scoring games. Oh, but that won't matter because we're going to cut the length down by playing only seven games, seven innings at a time. Right, the double hitters. They would do a bunch of double hitters all at seven innings. Yeah, so this isn't baseball anymore. Um, I think the most ludicrous thing is the idea of having the players sit in the stands, not in the dugout, and stay six feet apart in the stands. I have been to Major League Baseball parks. Um, I've sat in very different places in Major League Baseball parks. Most of them, by design, don't have immediate access from the stands (laughs) to the playing field. So you're either asking somebody to jump over a fence, which I guess is possible, or um, in the situation in the Arizona ballpark, uh, is it still Bank One ballpark? Yes, I believe so. Or Chase Field. I mean, does Bank One still, I don't even know if Bank One still exists. Um, You can't, you would have to go down the stand. I mean, you'd have to go up the ramp on the stands down to an access door in the back of the stadium to get down to the player tunnel to come out the dugout. That's like a five minute walk on to, by design because you created security to keep your players safe. Sure. Why not? Um, also, maybe they should just play double derby and just start off with a runner at second. And if you don't get a double, at least you're out. Uh, you know, for me, I think that um, I think it feels a little like almost disingenuous that that would even consider that considering we're still in the throes of things. I, I feel like if because by all estimations, the NFL is starting on time, which means starting at the end of August into September, I would rather see an abbreviated schedule started as late as possible in people's home stadiums instead of beyond the things, all you things you just mentioned, watching highly tuned, highly trained athletes play at less than their best because, oh, I'm sorry, you have the three o'clock start in freaking Arizona and it's a thousand degrees. Well, not to mention that, you know, I, I get the the normal view, the normal stereotype of a baseball player is this young kid who just got called up for the minors and he's having some success. A lot of these players, especially with the um, regiments that they hold themselves to, like a Justin Verlander, um, they have families, they have wives. I can't imagine my wife or your wife being okay with the idea, no, no matter what the amount of money was, for potentially being isolated from my spouse or their spouses for four and a half months, potentially. Maybe it's so soon as maybe it's only 30 days, but you're looking at maybe it goes all the way up into the World Series. Um, I don't think Jess would be thrilled about that. I know Elizabeth would not be thrilled about that. No, Jessica did her time of separations from husbands for things way more important in the game of baseball. Um, exactly, and, and you're going to tell me you're going to tell me Justin Verlander is not going to want to see Kate Upton in four and a half months. I don't think you could keep Kate Upton away from this from Arizona. And now the big league chew, and I on the majors. Brought to you by Zoomer Sports. All right, so we are excited to be joined on the Big League Chew. And Scott, unfortunately, we are not doing this together like we were supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. 
I, you know, I, I just did a little bit of a rendition of take another little piece of my heart now, baby. But uh, I'm not as good as Janis Joplin at, at that. So I'll just leave it with, with her. Yeah. I mean, so, it's a bummer. It, Cause we, you know, I was telling before we started, we had all the calendar invites. We were supposed to be at San Antonio missions tomorrow night. We were supposed to be at the rampage the next night. It was, well, I mean, and obviously we understand why, but it's still a bummer. Yeah. I would have been on a plane this evening, but I won't be now. <laughs> yeah. No tiny enclosed metal places for me right now with a bunch of strangers. <laughs> no. And then, you know, you could have had the river walk to yourself, I guess. Um, so we're going to continue our countdown of our working our way to whenever baseball starts. Um, we talked earlier in the week about the Arizona plan. I want to bring some of that back up at the end of this, but we're jumping into the 1990s. And I think you and I both had a really hard time figuring out who, and, you know, I always kind of do a, a, a sort of a blend of best and favorite. Um, and so, yeah, it was a really tough decade to pick from. Yeah. We, I, I think we could have gone, we could have gone 20 deep on this one. There's, there's, there are really good players that are going to be left off of this and, uh, and people are, are, are going to go, well, why didn't you say so-and-so? Because I thought he was number 11. Um, yeah, right. well, he wasn't top five. He wasn't top 10. Um, but yeah, I, I am. And, and maybe I'm jaded toward that because, because this was, you know, the nineties, the I was in my twenties. So, you know, I was sowing those oats and whatnot. And, um, and it was just a lot of really good baseball being played at that time. We didn't know they were taking steroids. The power number surged. Um, so yeah, that, um, man, it's, it was just a really good decade for, for baseball. Yeah, it was. It was, um, you know, before obviously 2017, the best, the best decade the Astros ever had, in which I think they had the fourth best winning percentage in the decade and never got out of the first round of the playoffs. Like, that's just how competitive it was. Very competitive. Very, so you were to go through number one? And you had to deal with the Braves every year. Yeah, uh, my, my number one, um, my, my number one debuted 31 years ago. Um, for the Seattle Mariners and what he did through the nineties was incredible. That's Ken Griffey Jr. Um, the kid was just, uh, it's, he's got four years where he's got an on base plus slugging of over a thousand for four of those years. Uh, all he did was go to the all-star game every year in a row for all 10 years, uh, won an MVP, won a golden glove every season, won eight silver slugger awards or seven silver slugger awards, excuse me. Uh, all he did was to like have to build a new shelf every year to add more trophies. Um, Ken Griffey Jr. was just a phenomenal. I, I really think we forget how good he was. And part of that may be because he played in Seattle for, for so many years. Um, but Ken Griffey Jr. was, I mean, he was the Michael Jordan of 90s baseball to me. Yeah, he really was. And it, it was, it, he was a player that I, um, I never really get to, to see very much because interleague wasn't really a thing until, um, I don't even remember when in the nineties it started, but it was not a thing for the entire decade. And so I'm not sure he ever came to Houston in a game I was ever able to see. And he was always a guy I wanted to. And I think that's the, one of the things about the nineties for me. That was when I think I was a lot because you're right. We were in the age where I was a lot more aware of baseball wide. And so there were a lot of players on teams that I would have considered favorite players that I never got to see 
play. One person I did get to see play, my number one, and somebody that I made a point every single time San Diego came to town, Mr. Tony Gwynn. Um, you know, when, when Craig Biggio calls you the best pure hitter in the game ever, um, I think that you you have to take that with uh, with a with a little bit more than a grain of salt. So yeah, always always a big Tony Gwynn guy. Tony Gwynn could just uh, how, how many episodes of, of you know I, I told you I saw an episode of This Week in Baseball a while back, and how many times you hear "Hello, folks, this is Mel Allen," and then you'd see Tony Gwynn getting yeah. base hits to left field. All he did was get base hits to left field, play right field. Uh, Tony Gwynn was was a pure hitter. I remember Ted Williams uh, bragging uh, uh, on these episodes of how good Tony Gwynn was at seeing the ball and hitting the ball. And it says a lot that Tony Gwynn was one of the first guys that used video to really go in deep and uh, and pick Ted Williams' brain ad nauseum on how to become a better hitter, and, and it showed. All right, your number two. My number two, I once heard him warming up in the Astrodome. I, I was in Houston to watch his team play, and it was like a – watch hearing his fastball hit the mitt was like hearing a feather hit a pillow. <laughs> And, and that's Greg Maddox. Oh, great. Greg, Greg Maddox, man, the, the guy could move the baseball in and out. And let's remember also in the 90s, they didn't call the inside strike that often, but they called the low and away strike a lot. They gave you extra room on the out. The, the, the strike zone shifted in the 90s out to the, um, out to the left. And I remember watching Levon Hernandez and Greg Maddox, he could like strike out 16, 17, 18 of the opposing players. It's like, well, the guy couldn't have hit that ball with a boat or because it was so far outside. Uh, but Greg Maddox had impeccable control, won games, uh, won four Cy Youngs in a row, won a gold glove every year. People forget what a great fielder he was. Uh, but what he did first with the Cubs and then with the Braves was, was just, it was just sick. How many innings he pitched, and how good he was over that entire time. I like that meme of when you hire Greg Maddox to paint your house, and all it is is the corners have paint on them. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my one of my favorites. Um, yeah, you know it's funny because uh, obviously that whole Braves pitching staff became a real. Uh, I, I remember when the Astros finally beat the Braves, and it felt like it felt like Rocky Four to us, man. Like they're not a machine, you know. It was. It was rough, but they were, uh, yeah, that whole, I think that I really think that's the best pitching staff top to bottom together in the history of the game. And I know a lot of people would argue about that. Some people would say that the Astros pitching staff from last year at one point was the best, but I really think Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz and whoever they've trotted out in that four and five spot were the best. Yeah, whether it was Steve Avery or Denny Nagel or whatever flavor of the week, they, they had, that, that was just, that staff was was incredible, and then once they lull you to sleep with the soft toss and the ball moving all over the place with with, with Maddox and Glavin here comes Smoltz throwing hard heat and a, and a slider that that fell off the bathtub. So, and who, who's who's your number two? My number two is Mister Pert Plus himself, Mister Mike Piazza. Um, I just I don't know. Every time I think of him, the first thing I think about is that stupid Pert Plus commercial he did. Um, you know, he was a guy that I won, obviously a great, great ball player for both the Dodgers and the Mets, but also, you know, coming out of like that post strike period, 
one of the guys whose personality I think really took over the game and I think helped, you know, we obviously credit the home run chasing and probably more specifically Cal Ripken Jr., who I don't think will be on anybody's list, unfortunately, um, with saving the game. But I don't know, Piazza's personality, I think, really kind of helped that. Yeah, I think it was really weird. Piazza was only drafted because his dad worked in the front office for the Dodgers, and Piazza's like a 53rd round draft pick or something. It was just like, eh, we'll do a favor to him and, and draft your kid. And, and he's that, that one in a million who then developed into his body, and you saw, oh, wow, this guy's, this, this guy's, he's, he can kind of hit the baseball a little bit, uh, fellas. And, and, and the way Piazza moved up is just, it, it, it was incredible. He was always known as not being a great defensive catcher. I think part of that also had to do with the pitchers that, that he um, that he had throwing to him. Hideo Nomo had anything but a quick delivery to the plate. <laughs> right, uh, I remember that, yeah. I don't know if a cannon, uh, a literal cannon, preloaded and can't fire until Nomo's ball crosses the plate, could have thrown anyone out at second. So, um and, and and if memory serves, Piazza and, and Mr. Clemens didn't get along very well either. <laughs> but who does like Roger uh, Clemens? That's actually that should be the next the next thing. Let's make a list of people who like Roger Clemens. Oh uh, man, shortest show ever. Shortest show ever. Yeah. Uh, my number three is going to be when when in the nineties I was I was still um, throwing a baseball. And at night, I'm not. And this is really strange to me, but this is what goes through your mind at night. I would picture myself trying to get this guy out. How could I make, how could I throw pitches where this guy wouldn't be able to hit them? And that's Frank Thomas. I think Frank Thomas was the best pure right-handed hitter of that entire time. You know, he was MVP back-to-back years uh, for Chicago White Sox teams that weren't all that great all the time. Uh, his, his OPS was, um, was over a thousand for like six of those years. Uh, Frank Thomas, Hit the ball, hit the ball purely, walked over a hundred times every year but one. I mean, how, how do you draw 138 walks in a year? You know, and still hit 32 home runs. Uh, Frank Thomas was just, it was, it was, it was sick what he did uh, for the White Sox when he was basically all they had. He was phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. And he, and, and even though he does those awkward boner pill commercials, which I'm not, I'm, I'm trying not to frame all my picks or reflections on the advertisements they are late, eventually paid insane amounts of money to do. But Pert Plus gets you more boners than those boner pills should. Anyway, uh, my number but three. If you, but if you but if you've got to be in a commercial, why not have women looking at you going, Frank's looking good. It's Nugenics, ladies. And you're like, oh, get me some of that. So maybe, I can get me some of that. <laughs> maybe you're right. Um, my number three, he is. uh He's he's the number one most wanted on the list of every single species of bird in in this country. Uh, Randy Johnson, the big unit. You know, it's funny because um, he looked like it's funny to me now because I think he's like a wildlife photographer in his hobby. Like he does something very odd, but he seemed to be probably the most intimate. I have to imagine the most intimidating person that played during that era. He just looked mean all the time and not like, Oh, just don't go near him. Justin Verlander mean, but like, don't breathe the same air because he'll stab you in the face. Mean he had that big, long body, that scraggly hair. And like, like we talked about, um, 
in, in previous episodes, by the time he released the ball, he was already halfway to home plate. So it just was one of the one of the meanest looking guys and just one of the best pitchers of that decade, I think. Yeah, when you have a third of a second to make up a, make up your mind on whether to swing or not, and he takes away a tenth of that uh, and cuts that down to a quarter of a second, just simply because of, of how far out he released the ball. Um, I was wondering who would be the first player, and and I thought it might be him to appear on both 2000 and, 90, and 90s lists. I, I think it's I think it's completely correct to have the big unit on there. Um, I have seen that he hates being asked about the bird. That it when sometimes the first thing that's that that's asked of him. So if you uh, if you meet him, uh, may want to avoid the the bird subject. But but it just you can anybody who's ever seen that video knows he just absolutely eliminated a complete every feather off of a bird. It with exploded. One pitch. It was like when it my exploded. uncle John's at Thanksgiving dinner. Man, there was nothing left. That's excellent. Well, you, you know, my, my guy is also going to be a pitcher who I believe at the end of the decade was the most dominant pitcher in baseball. And at the beginning of the decade, even though he kind of started out with the Dodgers, uh, he, he played for, for Expos teams that just really Oh, hold on. I need to interrupt you for a second. Oh, so I got to sure make thing. sure that this is the right thing. So I think I just found Randy Johnson's photography page. In his logo, okay. if it's in fact, I know that he does photography. If it's in fact the same guy, and I have no reason to think it's not, his logo is an, is a bird that's upside down with his feet straight in the air and feathers. <laughs> Let's see if it's him. Well, if it's if it's not him, it's definitely him. Oh my god, yeah, it's him. He really owns it. I will put a link in the description of this podcast. I'm sorry, we'll go back to your number. Yeah, no, no, put put the link in there. Yeah. Uh, Pedro can wait. Um, <laughs> for a guy that was is probably going to be best known um, for his his comment later in the 2000s of I just have to tip my hat and call the Yankees my daddy, which you don't do that because I'm, of course the next night at Yankee Stadium they're going to be chanting who's your daddy, but but um, but Pedro Martinez was was dominant uh, pitcher uh, from but playing for a team in Montreal frankly that that just wasn't that good. But by the time the end of the decade came around and he's winning 23 games with Boston uh, and his ERA is below two, uh, it, that's, it, that's phenomenal, man. To be able to pitch in the AL and, and put up the numbers, the gaudy numbers that he put up. Um, Pedro Martinez had so much movement on every pitch and he had great location for a few years. And, and so he, he makes my list. Yeah. I just don't, uh, a lot of people got really mad at him when he gave his opinions on Mike Fires, and I don't think they fully understand where his opinions were coming from. But um, now we enter the Homer part of the show. Uh, my number four is Jeffrey Bagwell. Um, it it you know it's it's such a, an interesting story because I don't think he's necessarily famous enough because of where he played in the era in which he played in it in Houston, but. That is, I got to believe, the most one-sided, lopsided trade ever, in part because of what happens with with a new CBA that happens where the Red Sox trade Larry Anderson to get Larry Anderson, who was a competent reliever, for Bagwell. The Red Sox thought they were going to get Larry Anderson for another year, but the CBA got thrown out and then redrawn up, and they lost him. And the rest is history with Jeff Bagwell becoming one of the two best 
players in Astros history. He had the weird batting stance that even he would say in interviews, kids don't mock my batting stance because it looked like he was sitting on an invisible stool while trying to <laughs> lean over the plate. Um, one of the funniest moments about him, though, you know, and I think this is what I like about baseball players is if they're your team, you get to know them a little bit. And he um, famously thanked, I think it was Derek Bell, for being Kerry Woods last out so he didn't have to be the 20th strikeout. And I thought it was so funny that everybody knew Kerry Wood was on in that game. And so that it was just a foregone conclusion that one of them would be 20. And he wanted to thank Derek Bell for being the guy who did strike out so he didn't have to. And that's the way I'm going to share my Hall of Fame story of a joke about him potentially striking out. I do want to say to <laughs> Baseball fans out there, he every I think third Saturday in the in the um, the baseball season for the Astros, he sits in on the TV broadcast, and it is the best broadcast you will listen to because it's a guy who is very serious about baseball, and that's all he wants to talk about. It's great. Yeah, and I, I can see his stance now. I mean, the, the guy's hamstrings had to just be had to just be rock solid, right? Because he's he's essentially sitting that whole time like you're talking about and just ready to explode on a baseball. Uh, you talk about a guy that could hit for average and for, and for power. Um, you know, that's what I'm saying. We're really spoiled through that decade with these types of hitters. You had Frank Thomas doing it in the AL and Bagwell doing it in the NL. Um, and, and then there were, there, were, there were so many others that were great hitting first baseman at the time too. But to me, in the National League, Bagwell – completely deserves to be there. He's at the top of the, the list of first basemen through the that, decade. And I think the first Astro to ever win the MVP, which is uh, pretty cool. Hey, that's that's not bad because they've been playing baseball for a minute. Uh, my guy, my final pick, you um, had Piazza. I, I went with his counterpart from the AL who I, if I was going to be starting a team in the 90s, this is the guy I would want behind the plate. You know, he was, he was fourth in the rookie of the year voting when he was 19 years old. And then he just won a gold glove every year after that for the decade. He was an all-star every year after that. Silver slugger for six seasons in a row at the end of the decade. Pudge Rodriguez. <laughs> Ivan Rodriguez could just – he could stop everything behind the plate. He could throw out anybody behind the plate. He you didn't respond to my, my gasp of exhaustion. <laughs> well, okay. I, I, I know he's, he was, he was a, a ranger. He, he played for a team that you're not exactly crazy about. But – um but my gosh, man, to be a catcher and to play for 21 seasons. I can't. Yeah, um, I can't. Yeah. I mean, he was the one thing he did not do well was take walks. <laughs> he didn't strike out that much. But in doing a little research and I saw in 1995, he played 130 games and walked 16 times. And it's like, <laughs> how do you how do you And two of those were intentional? So for 14 times. Only 14 times was the pitch not a not good enough for him to swing at through the entire at bat, or b didn't make solid contact. Otherwise, he always made solid contact. So, uh, Pudge Rodriguez is, is on my list uh, for for catchers in the 90s, and and the most obscure stat through that time that made me scratch my head in '99 when he won the MVP as a catcher. Jimmy hit 35 home runs and stole 25 bases. As a catcher. As a catcher. Never came close to those stolen base numbers anywhere else in his career. But 31, I'm sorry, 25 um, stolen bases, uh, even though he grounded into 31 double plays that year. So I don't know. Was somebody tipping their pitches? Who knows? Who knows? My number one is a catcher, too. Um, 
Craig Allen Biggio. He is actually my, my favorite baseball player of all time. He is what I think a ball player should be. He was the guy that was always mysteriously dirty before the game started. Like, why why are you dirty already? Um, <laughs> he had grass stains while playing in the Astrodome. I don't know how that happened. Um, the pine tar on his on his helmet. You know, he was the guy that but he was he was a, a ball player. He was a gamer. He played three positions, all star two of them. I believe he is the only he's known for two things in the all-star game. He's the he was the first catcher to commit catcher's interference in an all-star game and the first player to play in the all-star game back-to-back years at two different positions from catcher to second base. He is a hall of famer, 3000 hits. Um, but my favorite kind of bit about him is, um, and again, th- that group of guys were, were, um, they were very, they were very dirtball guys. And I actually was listening to Craig on a, on Buster Olney's podcast last week and he was openly bemoaning the fact that the Astros packed up G- passed up Jeter because he was like, do you know how easier, much easier my career would have been if I could have looked to the left and saw Jeff Bagwell the whole time and looked to my right and saw Derek Jeter. But my favorite thing about him is that he is the major league league, uh, major league record holder for being hit by a pitch. And yes. in his last season, the onion wrote a sarcastic article about it. And the headline says, Craig Biggio blames media pressure for stalling at 285 hit by pitches. <laughs> I just find that funny. Yeah, he's my favorite one of all time, man. Yeah, uh, I, I I want to tip my cap to uh, to the Astros management at the time for making a very brilliant decision. And I remember thinking at the time it was smart because Biggio had so much speed. And they recognize the fact that we're not going to maximize this guy's playing career if we keep him behind the plate the whole time. His knees are going to wear out. Um, we we need to move him somewhere uh, in the field. And then a tip of the cap to Biggio because you hear about catchers making the move to third base or first base, but I can't think of the last time a catcher moved to second base and never missed a step, if not got better. That's a that's a strange move in the field. But what a, what a great job he did by doing that. So I was again, obsessed with him. Like I, I was at his very first game um, <clears throat> as an Astro. He got called up. It was a midseason call up. Basically Nolan Ryan instructed them to call him up because uh, I guess Ashby had gotten hurt and Nolan Ryan had a really, na- had really nasty breaking stuff and he needed a catcher that was mobile enough to block it. And that's why he essentially dictated that Biggio pretty much, I think started, he went from low A to triple A and then in the majors. And um, but one of the things I remember when he did make the move was he, I remember the, the ABC 13, you know, Eyewitness News did a whole bit about him learning to play second with a with basically a plastic shield on his hand without using to teach him soft hands because he had to basically accelerate through that process in pretty much one spring training. So, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty uh, amazing. Um, you know, so we talked on Tuesday, Scott, about this Arizona thing. And I guess, you know, I wanted to see, are you feeling any different about it? Are you feeling any any less hopeful or more hopeful that we're going to get some nem- some semblance of baseball back? Um, I, I honestly am still of the mindset that Everything I everything I said before, I completely still stand by. I think it's a brutal idea to do to do that to the players um, and to put them through that. And I, and I just think that it would be um, it, it's wrong um, to to try that. I, I again, I appreciate the sentiment. It's not the way to fix it. 
Um, I just, I, I don't know how you go about doing that in the heat of the summer and have people spread apart, uh, sufficiently spread apart. And when you got teams going, I mean, somebody's going to catch it, Jim. That's the bottom line. Somebody's going to catch it. And you'll still have guys, they still got to share locker rooms together. Somebody is going to catch it. And when somebody catches it, it's going to spread. And, and you just, you don't need that. If, if I understand that the NBA has players that caught it, the NHL does, because that was before us shutting it down. But then for MLB to come back too soon and cause the problem, I mean, if you want to talk, that's running a risk of, of tarnishing your sport that's already struggling at times to maintain its fan base um, and grow a new fan base. I, I just do not think that the rewards of this outweigh the risk of this. I just don't. Yeah, I agree. So do you think the, what do you think the odds are? Like, would you say 50, 50, no baseball versus some baseball? And, and I do, I, for me, I don't think you can come back until you have enough testing that you can therefore play in home ballparks and resume to somewhat normal and then quarantine those who do get sick. Like, I don't think baseball can come back rapidly early before the rest of the country does. So what is your best guess? I, I don't think you play baseball until the 1st of June, maybe M- Memorial Day weekend. Um, I'm not sure that you'll have fans in the stands at that point in time. Uh, to, to me, though, if, if they're really serious about this whole doubleheader idea and all of that, um, do this at the ballparks themselves. So some of the people that are working there um, can 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 keep their jobs, you know, some of the grounds crew and, and, and whatnot. I, I think that would be a um, – I would prefer to see things done that way. You know, there's no reason that you can't have somebody in town play a six game series and just two of the days you're playing double headers. Right. You know, it, it, you really could do that. And that's going to put some stretch, uh, some stress on arms, but okay. Allow 28 guys on the roster. Instead, there's, there's creative ways to, to do this, um, that, that don't include everybody being within 150 mile radius. Of, of themselves in, in 130 degree heat in Arizona. All right. So we'll leave it there, Scott. We'll talk to you next week. Okay. Try to enjoy the weekend that you won't be with me. Yes. Let me leave you with one great thing that happened in the nineties. It was the last time that happened. It was the last time a hitter went over a hundred RBI and hit less than 10 home runs. Uh, the guy was 39 when he did it. One of the best pure hitters of all time, Mr. Paul Molitor just wanted to tip my cap uh, for what he did at the age of 39. Lights, camera, play ball, inside baseball cinema. All right, we're back here on Lights, Camera, Baseball with Andrew Nelson as we continue to work our way through Ken Burns Baseball. Andrew, how's it going? Good. How are you, Jim? I'm good. So we're gonna. I'm gonna ask you an unprepared question. You you texted me something you got in the mail. Yeah. Tell uh, everybody what you got. I got a a vintage restored Nakona glove. Um, I, I think it's probably from the twenties, maybe the thirties, but it's a split finger glove. It just has webbing between the thumb and the index finger. And, um, I've never actually handled one of these before. I wasn't prepared for just how small it is compared to like a modern glove, but it feels amazing. And it's, it's really cool. Nice leather. Will you play catch with it? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> okay. I, I only paid 30 bucks for this thing, so I feel like I can use it. <laughs> oh, wow. There you go. Perfect. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, Ken Burns baseball, and we're going to we're into the fourth inning because through COVID-driven delirium, 
I bled into the third inning last time. Um, this was actually, I think, where the show for me gets a lot more momentum because now all of a sudden it's baseball players that I uh, remember, not remember, obviously, but no, like I, I, I felt the first couple of innings to be very educational, but now uh-huh. there was like a certain degree of like bias to the fact that I know who Babe Ruth is. So overall, what was your right. impression of this episode? Yeah, I mean, it feels that way very much to me, too. Like, 1920 is kind of considered the beginning of the the so-called modern era of baseball. Uh, the ball became live again. It wasn't the dead ball era anymore. Um, so, um, the third inning, or, or episode three, however you want to call it, um, you know, it's very much about that change and Babe Ruth and Babe Ruth's part in that change. And obviously he was a really huge figure and a really huge part of the change in baseball at that time. So he takes up a lot of this episode also. Yeah. I do think it's interesting because it shows off. I think it's a, it's really prescient for baseball, I think, because, um, and we'll, we'll, you know, Buck O'Neill talks about this in one of the later episodes about how, you know, baseball, it, it, it reaches a point where it could fall apart and then somebody always kind of steps up to save it. And, you know, I think that was definitely it with Ruth. And again, this episode for me is a lot more fun than some of the other ones. For sure. Um, I only wanted to have a brief conversation about that one because I wanted to talk to you about something that's going on in baseball now. All right. I'm referring to this as the Arizona Project. <laughs> uh, listen, man, you're, you know, um, first of all, you know, you're a Twins fan. I'm an, an Astros fan. So yeah. we wouldn't even get the luxury of having our own home spring training park. Like it's yeah. what, just what, overall, what were some of your thoughts on the whole Arizona thing? Uh, you know, I, I get where they're coming from in that, um, you know, if, if, uh, if we want to give them the benefit of the doubt, and I'm not sure that I do um, that they want to get baseball going again and you know have that kind of big national distraction. And from the more likely motivation, I mean, there could be huge money there if they do it right, um, where they'd be the only ga- literally the only game in town right now. Um, but it just seems so incredibly reckless. Um even if they plan it out really well, even if they're really careful, um, it doesn't take much to just bring the whole thing down. And, uh, you know, for my money, why don't you just wait another month or two months? I mean, you could play out half a season normally and, and at much, much less risk and, uh, much, you could probably make more money, because you might be able to put butts in seats, you know? Um, so I don't know. I get what's behind it, but it just doesn't seem really thought out, you know? Absolutely. One of the things that, um, that I wanted to, to ask you about it then is, is you had said at the beginning that you didn't think that the major league baseball deserved the benefit of the doubt. I mean, do you feel like Manfred's honestly, doing this for a noble reason, or do you think he's really actually got a list of things that he wants to accomplish that now he can kind of force through? 
I mean, I don't know about that. That could be part of it. I think that there are probably a lot of pressures driving it. Um, I think that there's um, pressure from the owners who really want to make money because they're, they're paying out costs to some degree, no matter what happens. Um, they're paying at least part of the player salaries, even if they don't play at all. Um, they're playing at, paying at least some of their non-player workers, no matter what happens. They're still paying taxes and paying for facilities and things. Uh, so there's a huge pressure for them to make money somehow. Um, and since TV deals are a big part of their revenue, if they can play games and just put them on TV, that's a really good thing for them. Uh, I think there's also pre- probably pressure on the from the player side, um, from the union. Um, you know, the players I'm sure want to get paid, especially the guys who aren't making multiple millions of dollars a year and uh, they're getting paid something now, but it's not what they'd be making if they were playing. Uh, And then I'd I'd be really surprised if there wasn't some governmental pressure too. Um, I'm not going to get political about this, but um, supposedly they're coordinating with the health department and they're a big part of this. I mean, it really seems like there's probably some, um, whether you want to call it encouragement or pressure from higher up that they want to get, get this going and drive some kind of normalcy and some kind of economic activity going on. You're a student of history. Um, I mean, that's something we've talked about. You know, you play the, the vintage baseball. You understand. One of the things that I think bugs me about it is we've heard this notion of we have to heal the nation. Um, that's why we would, we want to play baseball to heal the nation. Can you heal the nation while you're still going through the thing you need to be healed from? It's not like we played baseball September 12th. Right. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Cause it's in some ways it's an unprecedented, unprecedented situation. It's not totally because, um, there was the, um, the flu epidemic in 1919 and they played through that. Um, you know, who knows how many people died because they did that. But, um, you know, it also wasn't in the peak of it either. Um, and, you know, there was September 11th and things like that where there was a definite definite event. And then you could wait a certain amount of time and move past it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see why they can't wait a little longer. Um there's, there's besides the health risks to the players and anyone else involved, whether it's hotel staff or stadium staff or whoever, um, there's, there's a risk to the optics too. Right. Um, I mean, you know, if say, uh, say the COVID tests are still somewhat scarce and, Major League Baseball is testing all their people regularly. You know, that's not a great look for a good reason. Right. It's it's also, too, the thing you brought up, too, is you, you brought up the fact that, okay, so you bring 30 teams to Arizona. Um, some of them, I presume, will, will basically be able to lodge in their home parks, however that normally works. But 
Um, how do you bubble all the people that work at the hotel? How do you bubble all of the people that work at restaurant? Like to me, it just seems like until testing is so ubiquitous where you're not, like you're saying, you're not taking tests out of at-risk populations, then it doesn't seem to be worth it until testing is so ubiquitous. And when testing becomes that ubiquitous, you don't have to do this anyway. Right. And then, you know, speaking of players being at the hotels, are you making them stay in their room and get room service for meals? Are they eating together? You know, are they not getting together and playing the show or something, you know, to pass time? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, how, how regimented can you make it uh, with guys who are, are used to a certain amount of autonomy just as Americans and adults and a lot of them as wealthy individuals? And um, it just doesn't seem realistic. And it doesn't take much at all to hugely increase the risks involved. And I think also, too, um, like what happens if you do this? And you talked about the optics of a test, of using tests people need. What about the optics if you do this and then uh, they get it anyway and now it spreads through that population? Right. Yeah. Uh, what happens when the first baseball player dies from COVID? I mean, you know, the, the messaging was early on that it, well, it was just elderly people and people with conditions that were at risk. But there have been relatively healthy, relatively younger people who've died from it, too. Not the majority of them, but it has happened. A lot of those those conditions you talk about go undetected. Like like how many times have you and I heard about somebody in our age group dying of a of a heart attack? And once they did the autopsy, they find out, oh, yeah, they had this, this and this. You just didn't know. Right. Or, or even, you know, that every once in a while there will be a professional athlete who will keel over in practice one day or something. And, you know, it turned out he had a he had a heart murmur or something that had gone undetected. Um, the, the risks just don't seem worth the reward. And there's so much time to, to mitigate those risks before you'd really have to throw up your hands and say, Oh, there's no way we can have a season at all. Uh, I, I don't see why they're r rushing it. I mean, I do see reasons why they probably are, but I don't think it makes sense. I agree. And, and like I've been on the, you know, I've gotten kind of some pushback cause I'm kind of on the record for being okay with the NBA's plan of everybody going to Vegas and, and, but it, with, with that, you're playing far fewer games, far fewer rosters to control. Um, you can, you're all right there. There's plenty of hotel space. It isn't like, it's just a, it's just a bad idea. Um, we're actually out of time, uh, Andrew, but we will be back next week to talk about the next inning. All right. Sounds good. And now on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. And so we are going to wrap things up on this episode. And as we wrap it up, I have, a, I have a special guest for my closing. It's no longer just going to be closing it out with James Christopher. It's also going to be with the right-hander from the United Kingdom, our good buddy George. How's it going, man? I'm doing good considering the circumstances. I hope the same can be said uh, for yourself. 
Yeah. You know, and our, obviously our thoughts, uh, I know that you guys are getting it, I guess, about as bad or, or as we are. And I know that uh, your prime, prime minister is in the intensive care. So I hope everything, mm. I think we're going to come out the other side of this. I hope everything is, uh, is going well over there. That's what we're pushing for. I think it's a, it's a global effort. It's a, everyone on the same page, pushing in the same direction uh, all together. Yeah. And, you know, and, and you know, you've uh, been doing your part on social media and I know I have as well, just to kind of, I mean, I think, it, yeah, we're all talking about baseball, but I think we're all talking about baseball because the last thing we need to do is stare at a news channel anymore. Exactly. Or nonstop. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about this Arizona thing and we've been touching on it on and off of this episode in the mm. previous episode of the show. So you had some immediate gut reactions and I kind of wanted you to walk me through what you thought of this plan to potentially basically play like a baseball tournament for 162 games in Arizona. I think it's, it's, it, I was honest, my, my jaw nearly hit the floor when I read um, Jeff Patton's uh, tweet with it. I, I, I think that, look, I mean, we all want baseball back, but why would we want some sort of, oh, some sort of illegitimate version of it just to try and satisfy and satiate our needs when it's actually also flying in the face of the global health issues and obviously particularly in America, the health issues. I think what Major League Baseball have acted slightly irresponsibly in letting that statement come out in the fact that they're not taking into account the, the the dynamic of how the United States of America is um, there's so many different zones, so many different uh, of, you know uh, geographical sections and population se- sectors, if you like. Uh, it's not it's not like it is with certain other countries, be it here or even even where it's been really particularly bad in Italy and in Spain. America has so many different um, regions that it, it it just seems grossly irresponsible to try and shoehorn it into an area of the country and it would be I mean just imagine it it would be the most unpleasant paranoia laced uh, season ever it, 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 would, it would be how it would be built on foundations of quicksand and it would be like a house of cards because as soon as one player uh, you know, contracted COVID-19 everything would fall apart and it would be an absolute shambles I, I, I mean in, in MLB's defence they've said that it, you know that they are still options rather than they're not they're not absolutely set on this but I think they shouldn't even be discussing it I think it was just a, a terrible idea um, I think it, my honest opinion is as difficult as, as a pill to swallow for all of us as baseball fans we just have to accept that 2020 is unfortunately going to be in sort of anus horribilis for, for everybody and we just need to get through it get everything right and then come back in 2021 hopefully as you said on the other side and, and get things back up and running as the way they are it, 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 you know it sucks it's, it's horrible no one wants to, to, to miss the sport for an entire year but these are specific set of circumstances and naturally help us to try, uh, to, to top everything else so I think um, yeah terrible idea I think there's a couple things I want to hit on um, one you, you talked about it being almost not the best version of the game and there's been a couple of proposals the seven inning double the seven inning double headers I don't like it um I wouldn't mind like if they had said look we have testing so we now we could play in home parks with testing starting in late June or July and we'll schedule some seven mm-hmm. inning double headers in that situation I'm okay with it the idea of um there's a couple of competitive things I want your take on look you and I both are Astros fans 
Um, yeah. We love Justin Verlander. I don't want to see a less good Justin Verlander because he's got the three o'clock start in the middle of Arizona. And for those of you who are listening, not in the U.S., Arizona is the middle of the desert. It's 130 degrees mm. in July. No, that's a fair point. And I think, um, I mean, also you've got to take into account the family considerations. I think Altuve has uh, another child on the way. Uh, obviously, the Verlanders have, uh, have their little one. I'm sure other players as well do. I just, well, obviously, Reddick's got his twins. I think it's... It, it uh, but does, I know Mike Trout. It, does, it doesn't. Mike Trout yeah, it doesn't has a baby right. coming. Yeah. So that, that's what I wanted to bring up next right. was, the, was the family thing. So you and I, I think you follow mm. her as well. Ashley McHugh, Colin McHugh's wife. Um, yes, indeed, yeah. Wonderful follow. Um, basically said just as much. I don't want to risk my husband, who has an underlying condition himself, apparently, uh, mm. doing this for five or six months. I, th- I just think, you know, what, what is the what's the intended goal here? It, it, it's basically just saying we need baseball for baseball's sake rather than actually concentrating on doing it right and getting things done the right way. I mean, and then, uh, it, it, you know, the irony of ironies, if, if you did have this kind of strange truncated season, whatever you want to call it, uh, would there be an asterisk next to the uh, the champion? I mean, it, it, it's, it's just crazy, honestly. It's, it's madness, I think. Because, you know, I don't know how well you follow it, but there had been proposals for the NBA and the NHL to do something mm. similar. And I was a little more okay with that because I think there's like 10 regular season games left and then a couple of weeks of playoffs, not trying to sustain yeah. the longest sports season in this fashion. Mm-hmm. So that I, was, I, yeah, I, 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 go ahead. I agree. No, no, I was just going to say, I think, I think you're right. The dynamic of baseball is, is, is specific and is particular and the demands are so particular that, it doesn't really compare with other sports. And, speci- and as you said, with the season not having started at all, I, I just think, I just think sometimes you, sometimes you have to, to cut your losses. It's an extraordinary situation. Hopefully it's one that will never be repeated in any of our lifetimes. And um, I think we just, we just got to get through it. Just got to get it right. Make sure this is, this is all dealt with in a way which means that the, the sport can be played safely, that the travel can be done safely. Because that's the other thing. You've got to remember that it's it's not yeah even if you even if you basically in one location I think I think it's um there's just too, there's too many variables and I, I just think um it's not it's just not a good idea that, that that would be in summary it's just not a good idea. So I want to ask you two more quick questions before we get out of here. Then one yeah far away. Um, you're heavily involved in the London series that was mm. already canceled. I mean, are there plans to bring that back or or like are you, is there a fear of loss of momentum there or do you feel pretty confident it'll be back? Well, I mean that's 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 another whole another whole subject, and I think um, I mean the way the way I personally look at it, and I made this quite vocally clear on Twitter last week or whenever was the way they officially cancelled it, or officially yeah officially cancelled it for this year. I said, can you move it? You know, MLB, can you push this back to the next year in the same way? You know, I love the way they're doing with uh, European Championships in, in football, is in soccer, and also in, in the Olympics by pushing it back a year. I think that if, if you know this situation with the whole coronavirus has shown us globally, but specifically in terms of sport, that things are not as set in stone as we'd like to believe they are, that that, that contracts can be rewritten, whether it's to do with events, timing of events can be, can be, can be changed. I really do hope, and I I don't have any confidence at all that that MLB will do it, 
I hope that they push back the the, the you know the international series plan by by a year. I think I don't see any reason why they can't just push it back another uh, back a year. I'm sure there are other events which um, use the venues will, will uh, clash in their own way. But I mean, this this um, London series was going to be taking place during the uh, the, the football as in, again as in soccer European Championships anyway. So it's um it's not like by having it next year it would um, suddenly be clashing with something that it wasn't previously. I, I, I just think that, that I, I would love to see that happen. I have a real fear that we won't be getting that rearranged um, sequel London series uh, and we could be waiting some time for it to then do a tour of, uh, of Europe, which is great for the European fans. You know, absolutely. I, I would be delighted for them anyway. I think that in, in Germany and in the Netherlands, I think, and, and potentially in, in Italy as well, obviously we're talking in the future rather than um, immediately. Uh, I think they would be fantastic for them because they have definitely got uh, a stronger bedrock of baseball um, set, in terms of a baseball setup and interest than, than we do here in, in Britain. We're just lucky that we share a, a language, uh, a common language with um, you guys and uh, are able to sort of piggyback off that. I mean, the London series last year was, was phenomenal. I think uh, it, it was a success on pretty much every level. I know that it was derided in some areas of the US media because it was so high scoring, but I think um, in terms of as an event, as a ballpark, and as an experience, it was absolutely second to none. And, and um, Major League Baseball would be foolish to, to, to turn their back on that just just now. And, and the best part about the London series is Alex Cora was even able to admit cheating in a news conference, and no one cares. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, um, looking back on that, yeah, well, 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 well. Yeah. Um, so my other question then, like, part of me. You know, you talked about, I don't know what Manfred's thinking. And it seems like, mm. um, A, he has the worst press people because stuff gets leaked. And there was, as you said, to be fair, they issued a press release that said it's just an idea. That doesn't happen in other sports. Like, I don't know what it is about baseball, but part of me thinks he's doing this for two reasons. None of them are good. I think he wants to go forward with this so he can jump on the opportunity to be the only sport playing. For mm. media, and I, you know, we've been talking about on the show, doing this helps him kill minor league baseball, the 42 teams he wants to kill. Uh, am I just being a little too, um, I guess, uh, what do you call it, conspiracy theory, or do you think there's anything to that? Um, in terms of the minor league aspect, how do you mean? So he's been talking about closing 42 teams down and yeah, essentially yeah, yeah, yeah. with the contraction. Yeah. And if you don't give them games this year, some of those teams are like any small business. They can't survive with no revenue. They will. Be oh, all right. So you mean, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't think on the face of it, I think, I think that's an ongoing sort of, um, subtext just in the background bubbling away as it is. I don't, I, I don't think specifically he has that in mind. I think that, you know they're going to suffer anyway with, with the fact that they're not going to be playing because I don't I don't see the minor league season going ahead. Obviously, I'm not involved with it, but I, from from an outside perspective, I don't see any way that 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 does get played. It's, you know, it's going to be an absolute nightmarish for them trying to get the major league season played. So um, I don't I don't personally see see it as that. I just I just think it's more major league baseball is petrified of of, of interest falling in the sport further but I don't I don't think they should work because at the end of the day all the sports are affected so it's, it doesn't really it doesn't really you know it's, it's, it's not highlighting baseball in a bad way by saying that the sport can't be played it has it has a particularly grueling 
and um, wide-ranging set of requirements, which uh, you know encompass travel, encompass uh, you know for fatigue across players across an extraordinary number of games, and, and all, all sorts of other different factors. And I mean that's before you even get to talking about trade deadlines and, and you know contracts and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I, I think that I just think baseball need they need to they just need to be a bit more adult about it and a bit more sensible in the way they're looking at. It. I think they're panicking. And they don't need to. I think it, it, no one is, you know, no one wants this situation, but it, it is situation, and it's not going to be a permanent. It's not going to be a permanent problem. This is a global battle, and every, you know, everyone's putting it together, and and with the, you know, with the right application and the right um, kind of ethos from both the you know powers that be and and the public in general, uh, we will we will come through this. I, I'm kind of st- I've kind of steeled myself already for the, the the fact that there's probably going to be some sort of second spike around September, October, November, one of those months, and we're going to have a similar situation in the winter, and then hopefully finally we'll be out the other side of it come um, come around March time. Well, I tell you what, I I agree, and and I do think there'll be another spike, and I think you know the only positive I can take of this is the weight that we're all waiting on is not for the virus to go away. It's we're waiting for testing, we're waiting for ways to treat it, where you can start to treat it like mm. you would treat any other condition. I for one hope they put a pin in this. I would prefer, um, I don't want to say I'd prefer no season, but I would prefer an eighty game season that starts after July than this whole. Arizona camp out thing um, that Wait, will is it necessary I mean I, I just feel like I, I feel like we're, we're, this is this is a situation where you know, don't go wrong we want baseball and it's going to lift spirits when it does come back I just think that it, it's too it's too risky right now and I think I think imagine you start that season of 80 games and then there's a, there's a spike somewhere and it just create, it just causes all things to collapse in on itself that would be a bad look for baseball it absolutely, it absolutely would. That that does wrap us up this week. Thank you for, so much, George, for joining us. You can find him at Astros Fans UK. We will be back with more. Let's get to on Tuesday. Uh, the San Antonio Missions will be joining us for our team of the week. So until next time, let's get to.